The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Islam show. Um, here we are going live as we normally do once a month with the Luton Revert group. Um, I would just like to say that uh, we do take over the show once a month. And uh, this is this is this is our this is our uh, our, our slot for this week. So uh, mm-hmm. you're probably getting familiar with our voices now, and we are doing the show once a month. Um, so I would just like to introduce my uh, regular colleagues who come on the show with me. So just first of all, I, myself. My name is Kerry Manan. I am the chair of Luton Revert Group, um, and I'd just like to say assalamu alaikum to Catherine. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Catherine Aganoglu and I'm the treasurer of Luton Revert Group. And Jeanette, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And I'm Jeanette. <laughs> and Rosa. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome um, to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm apparently the secretary to yeah. the group. Apparently. Yes. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. So between us all, we, we, we run the Revert Group because uh, we are. Uh, uh, an organization which is volunteer run and we are all reverts ourselves so we are a revert run support group for local reverts alhamdulillah um so this is the welcome to islam show um if you would like to join in and, and talk with us today the numbers for the studio are 01582481822 or you can also text in on 0779481822 we are also going live on facebook so um the topic for us this month um, is Islamic education, a new Muslim perspective. Um, we actually came across this topic when uh, the, the four of us actually and plus one other were having a discussion recently as a, as a committee um, about um, what our backgrounds were and how we kind of come to the point where we all are now. We've all got quite different uh, ways that we've come to Islam. And I think over the, the weeks that we've been here, you've kind of all heard some of our backstory, so to speak. Um, but we've also all had our kind of like uh, challenges in terms of Islamic learning. Some of us have done um, the kind of very more um, piecemeal learning, myself, I'm talking about here. And some of us have had the more academic benefit of more academic uh, structured learning as well. So uh, we're just going to have a bit of discussion between us now about what our individual experiences have been about actually trying to solidify, you know, once we've actually taken our shahada and accepted Islam as the truth, um, actually taking that forward and actually trying to gain the knowledge now to actually go forward and practice our, our religion. So, who wants to kick off the conversation? Rosa. Oh, okay. For me, it's, um, I got, I got the, I always joke about it and say I got the inside scoop about Islam before I even became Muslim. Because uh, my daughter took Shahada the year before me, I actually had uh, um, the privilege, the very, very rare privilege of seeing a new Muslim learning on the go. And uh, I got to learn alongside her. Plus, um, two more things. One is that as a mother, we all want to help our children. We want to see them thrive. So what I did do was every time that she came across something she wasn't quite sure about or she didn't know, I took it upon myself to go and find out so that I could help her 
I didn't realize I was going to help myself along the way, you know, further down the line, but that's how it turned out. And, you know, we all start with the best of intentions uh, with great love in our heart. Um, in addition to that, um, we had a very good friend of my daughter's who thankfully had very sound grounding and she, she sort of took my daughter by the hand and she took her, she took me by the hand as well and she was a very good soundboard she was very humble and when she didn't know herself she went and found out so she increased in her knowledge too but she was consistent with the one specific mother which was helpful from that point of view instead of us being victim to Sheikh Google. Um, and what actually uh, led her to selecting that particular madhab because i think this is quite crucial actually for a lot of new muslims in terms of the way that they learn and following a particular school of thought i think sort of it was a bit of a default in the sense that the the friend uh, was raised uh with uh, with the teachings of that particular mm. madhab within the family uh, but with a lot of younger generations there are second or third generation um um British, whereby they've actually come from an immigrant family, uh, there has been a trend whereby they've gone, uh, they've gone down the route of improving their knowledge because they want to make sure that there's a clear differentiation between culture, what is culture, and what is faith, and what is um, um, fake, and what is proper teach, proper teaching from from the Islamic perspective. So um, we we. We were taught from the beginning in that way, and it, it, it is the middle of the of the range, mother. And it's the, so it's not, you know, not too much on one side, not too much on the other side, yeah. and it kind of seemed to. Some you, you find out very early on whether something makes sense to you or not, and it's you know consistent. Mm, and obviously, there are things that are, you know kind of you kind of like you hang your head like you know when you kind of yeah no you don't want certain foods not to be, you know. You know, one hundred percent excluded. You really wish you could get there. were a walk around, but you know, you kind of going, okay, fine. Well, you know, I'll sign up for this. I'll just yes. go with it. Okay, fine. Okay, and I in, don't like it. And in okay. terms of a school of thought as well, it's not a case of once you've committed to it, you have to stick to it. It no. can be that later on in your journey, you kind of increase your knowledge about all the different schools yes. of thought and how they were arrived, particularly in terms of the four main imams and the following on from that. Which you can then decide to change your school of or thought. Or to stick with it. Yeah, or it's to stick, of course. And I've, exactly. I've heard in certain circumstances, conditions, you can say, <laughs> on this particular occasion, in this particular way, I'm going to be doing X, Y, Z underneath it's, whatever it's known, it's known as taking a ruksa thank you um, and uh, <laughs> and which means that for instance yeah. if you find yourself that through no fault of your own you've got you the prayer times that you follow uh and through no fault of your own you find yourself that if you were to go with your regular uh, maghrib um time you would be missing it Mm -hmm. And uh, and at that point, what do you do? Um, so, but you also know that there is the possibility of uh, praying a few minutes later because a different mother mm -hmm. will have that, yeah. those few extra minutes. It makes a big difference to be able to get through the door, do wudu again if necessary, and uh, and pray it and pray it on time. Yeah, and I mean there is there is obviously the example as well of of imams who followed other imams mm -hmm. when when they were leading prayer, for example, they would follow and do their salah the way that that 
saying mom was doing their salah rather than doing it in their way. There is, there is a requirement. If you are praying it within Jamaat, there is one of the requirements that you have to. So yeah. it's... Uh, yeah, so there's a precedence there that you know you can you can. It's not advised to chop and change, but there is a little bit of flexibility there. So, um, in terms of you've you've had the benefit of a structured learning, which we will explore a little bit later on, Rosa, if we can. But um, for myself, I've not had the benefit of some structured learning, and I'm finding myself at quite a disadvantage, especially because you know in in this society in this culture we are brought up in in this particular way of following a curriculum of learning within our normal schooling um you know that we do here in the uk and so you kind of get trained into a way of learning yeah and for me trying to learn islam as an adult um and retrospectively going back and trying to pick up all the bits of knowledge i've kind of not really know where to start other than i've kind of taken it right back to basics obviously obviously to mm-hmm. start with you you know you kind of look at the core principles of our faith and you work out what's kind of like you know in a gr- growing circle is the way i've kind of approached it but i kind of feel like there isn't any kind of particular kind of i don't know if curriculum is the right word to say but a way an approach of actually approaching islamic learning you know for a new muslim mm-hmm. you know you know especially like i found it very difficult for example when i was trying to learn to pray i picked up a few books and i went on youtube and but i found it so confusing mm-hmm. because of the different you know the different mm-hmm. ways different schools are doing it and people were giving me different information and then i ended up ah. it's not always the one thing about it is that we are approaching it from a learner perspective so mm-hmm. we know what we need um, from people teaching us, they just know how it's done. They don't necessarily know as much as they want to. They don't know how to break it down. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to explain it in a, in a really simple way, or they don't know how to explain it in a way that you know how to understand it. Yeah, because so, there's, there's a difference in learning the ritual, and there's yeah. a difference in actually understanding what principles that's actually applying mm-hmm. to. You know, like if yeah. you go back to Salah and you think about what yeah. Salah, you know, five times a day, what that actually is trying to instill in us. Mm-hmm. It's not just about standing up, bowing down, you know, it's, it's not just the ritual. Um, I think, we, and there's there's layers and layers mm. and layers, and um, it's not like you can oh, tick done that one, Tajwi done that one, yes. Salah done that. No, because there's so many aspects and layers and levels to each of these things. I mean, yeah, my my learning's been very very random, mm. and um, so when I became when I took my Shahada in 1982, we were travelling, and then we were living. There weren't many Muslims. It wasn't really until I came to Luton in. 2008 2009 that i actually found classes mm. that were really uh, there was a tajweed class i remember really helpful. yes so um uh, yeah that was it was only when i came to after being muslim t- more than 20 years yes and there's more of a community there's more going on that i was mm. able to enroll in classes um that that suited me at the time but um part before then i was just we had no internet yeah and <laughs> but just... as well don't you find they're very compartmentalized it would yes. be for example oh right there's there's a class on on how to pray and yes. or there's a class on the thick of some some subject yes and you kind of i kind of feel like as if we don't always get like a kind of structured way in the you know to understand what is the correct way to go about learning our faith mm. the thing is that 
when it comes to conversion to Islam, there is nothing. It's not new. It's not a new thing. No, people have been becoming Muslims for centuries, <laughs> from all kinds of backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, at Britain, for instance. The very first mosque was built in the 1800s, and yes. that's the mosque in, in Woking. Um, you know, the first uh, converts to Islam were well-to-do people. They were, they were British um, titled people, so it's it, as well as common people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to, it, from all different kind of layers of demographics. But you would think there would be programs in place. I mean, I come from a, Christ, a Christian background, yes, and. From that perspective, if anybody wanted to become um, specifically a Catholic, they would be signed up for a program, the same as mm. the Church of England have got what's known as and the Alpha Omega. Yes, it's it not because you know, like is. I know that there's a tradition within you know the Islamic culture here in the UK for you know uh, madrasa, you know, where children <laughs> yeah. are sent. To they Islamic can't be learning. born in the faith already. They've got it two pronged. They've got it at home, and they've got it there as well. And I'm so, sure, and, yeah, and I'm sure it, it, it does provide that level of education yes. they need. But as somebody coming to the faith, it's not it's not like we can pick mm. up and go and join in a madrasa with the no, kids. There is there is no no yeah. mean like in the matrix. You know, it doesn't work. Like you did that, Jeanette. Yeah, I did that okay, for a short so, time. So, yeah. tell us about that. Didn't do it for long though, as okay. I was the older one, and mm -hmm. it was very noisy, very repetitive. Oh. It's very, very hard. But I mean, I've got to say I was I had an advantage to all of you, I think it's because I I grew up in a town where predominantly lots of Muslims live there. Um, and when I went to become Muslim, nobody knew what to do with me. It was quite interesting ringing the mosques, being hung up on because I wasn't speaking their language and, and I was a woman. Yes. I mean, this is like nearly 30 years ago. Mm. And then um, I actually wrote off, it's now called the IDCI, but back then it was called IPCI, the Islamic Propagation Centre for Information in Birmingham. So I wrote to them and said, look, you know, how do I learn about Islam? Mm. And they put me in touch with a lovely couple who lived just out, out in a village outskirts of where I was living. Um, the lady is an Iraqi lady and her husband was an Englishman convert. And the the thing about them is, um, even to this day, I call them my Muslim parents. Aww, you know? And she taught me how to pray. She Aww. taught me what I need to say. She taught me so many things, even down to, you know, when you're fasting, what you need to eat and things like that. Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate that. Unfortunately, I started having children and having children meant I couldn't go there as much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? What I realised years later is she was of a madhab that was totally different to anybody else in the town pretty much because she was iraqi mm. so it wasn't like the south asians it was completely different which when i've been going because i also have been going to um and and more formal mm -hmm. learning and beginning to realize actually oh um, I don't do this the same as them, and I do things differently. Yeah. But it was good to be validated by yes. the teachers to say it doesn't matter. They're all, you know, they're all, yeah, they're, they're all correct, correct. Yeah. and that's the thing. But it was when my children were younger, I'd send them to mosque. I wanted to know what was happening. They went yes. to the madrasa uh -huh. and that lot, and I wanted to learn further. Then, because they were a bit older, mm -hmm. I wanted to learn how to read. I wanted to learn all the the kalima. 
mm. and things like this. But it didn't last very long because it was just too noisy for me. Because when I don't know how my children do, I'm glad my my eldest daughter did really well, but she had a very good teacher. Mm. My second daughter did terribly, but she had a poor teacher, unfortunately. Um, and that's the issue, really. Mm. You don't know how good a teacher is really until you've really had a go some of the madrasas are all right they, yeah. they they would work but i mean back then now it's much better they do have little curriculums within the madrasas mm -hmm. but then they didn't and it was just children reciting and rocking yes, and repeating yes, yes, yes. and it's just mm -hmm. loud and i was like how can they be learning anything here they, but that's a lot of them, especially the young ones, they, they would be practicing or they'd be going every day. Oh, absolutely, you know? so yeah. So if you go once a week, you don't get as yeah. much. No, you know? that's um, I've, I've got total sympathy for you. That that classroom setting whereby you have all the different ages, we're all different levels, yeah. and you have little seven-year-olds that are ahead of you, and oh, I get yeah. super competitive. Yes. So to have a seven-year-old doing better than me, it was like... <gasps> Yeah, well, I, I have this at home because my yeah. children are, you know, they're having, alhamdulillah, they're having, they're not going to a madrasa. Mm -hmm. They have um, somebody who's knowledgeable, who, who's been a family, you know, the kind of family uh, teacher mm -hmm. for the last, like, 10, 15 years. Oh, that's, that's and fantastic. so they go and they, they do their Arabic learning and he gives them the basics in Islam teaching and that kind of thing. So Do you, do you hover around? Do you find you hover around when, when the teacher is there teaching them and you you kind of go kind of like eavesdropping yeah. and see what no, you can catch not anything. really but i do question them after they've come out like what did you do but right. you know um yeah i i mean i'm in the situation now where they know more than me would you want to sit with them yeah i'm just wondering that why have you not sat any yeah. of them um, i mean you it's it's a timing issue for me predominantly i uh. i i kind of ha now i'm kind of finding my own path and doing my own classes during the week while the children are at school okay. but mm -hmm. you know i because obviously as well, their children, they, you know, they're able to have that time every week where it's set aside. Whereas for me, obviously, you know, and I don't want to make excuses, but life happens and I've got all things, other things going on. I can't, I find it very difficult to set aside mm. that set time. But it could be distracting for the children to have mum there in the class. I don't know. Yeah, yeah possibly. No, because you're a student too, so your job is to see children yeah. with mom can be difficult yeah. sometimes. They might not. Well, be yeah, nobody, of... nobody likes to admit that your kids know more than you. <laughs> <laughs> I, have no I remember yeah. going through that phase. <laughs> Even now, my eldest, I'm pretty confident she knows so much more than me. Yeah, and I'm, and you know, her recitation that. is beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's she's doing a hips now, and she knows so many surahs. And I'm like, oh, teach me this one, teach me that. <laughs> so, I mean, just from going on to talking about our children, I think this is probably an area which hasn't really been talked about a lot, which is for us new reverts actually educating our children, mm -hmm. you know, in this Western setting. Um, you know, do we have different challenges to the other people who are settled here, the, the second, third generations? That yeah. I, hear. Do we, do I we... think so. Yes. Language yes. to start language. with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is language and culture, and culture yeah. Great mind, you see. Yeah, yeah. And so, how do, how does that manifest? What, what? Um, my son, I remember taking my son to an Arabic class, and it was um, led by a predominantly um, Arabic-speaking organisation. Um, and so, all the children were already speaking Arabic. Yeah. And so, this was a formal class, and it was just 
not not right but it's the only one that I could find at the time that yeah and that's the problem is that if as parents we ever got the knowledge to teach children ourselves we want them to have that knowledge we think okay we need to find somewhere external who can give them that structured learning where do you go you know you know like you know talking about the madrasa you know is it going to be appropriate for my nine-year-old is with a class of four-year-olds because they're all beginners Mm. but you know (laughs) different learning and, and my two older girls went to the same madrasa, but had completely different teachers. So mm. my eldest, Alhamdulillah, she had a teacher who was from Yemen. So yeah. she taught her the proper tajweed and how to read. She taught her it all. Yes. She didn't teach her rules as such, but even to this day, she knows she the rules. She knows it, yeah. You know? Yeah. And she did really well with her. But my next daughter down had a different teacher mm. who wasn't very patient with her often humiliated her in front of mm. child, the other mm. children because she didn't fit in. Mm. I mean, there was a uniform of wearing a jilbab. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you wear underneath, you wear underneath, it doesn't matter. But she'd have a lift in it up to say, oh, look, girls, you shouldn't be wearing these kind of clothes. It, was, it wasn't very nice for her. Mm. But that's the issue because you, you send your children to where you've been told, actually, this is a good place. Mm-hmm. But it's often it's just down to the teacher and getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I was asked to remove my children because I wasn't quiet. I wasn't one to say, you can't. I, I already had enough knowledge to say what you're teaching my daughter is not right, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's the issue. Subhanallah, yes. That's, I think that's, that's where the important thing is, that you need to have that background information yourself and knowledge that's right. so that you can actually not necessarily teach them yourself, but to actually be able to vet yeah. Yes. The, the the place of education yes. so that you yes. actually know because going because of that recommendation alhamdulillah it's an amazing thing to do because you wouldn't send them there unless you trusted the person who recommended okay. it but at the same time you have to bank on the fact that they have the knowledge yeah that and, they can vet themselves. and I'm, I'm pleased you touched on that rosa because this is one of the things i often hear on is that I don't understand what the difference is, you know, between the certain educations of certain people who call themselves Ustad or mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't understand what qualification do you have to be an Ustad? I don't you know, there doesn't seem to be like this kind of like universal acceptance of like what how you how you teach. Yeah, how, how you teach, teach and what your background is and where you've yeah. you and know. teaching adults and teaching children are completely different um yeah. Yeah. You know, and even Absolutely. like even in learning of the Arabic when you go and learn mm. Tajweed, it's like, oh, so, you know, where was your teacher taught? And it's like, mm, don't know. <laughs> it's just having that kind of specialization as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, where I, I went to uh, a local mosque where I took my Shahada, and that's where, uh, that's where I did my Tajweed classes. And my teacher was able to mention the specific rules by name. She had, um, in hindsight, um, I, I knew by instinct that that the, her pronunciation was pretty good already. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it was very good. I oh know God. now it mm-hmm. was very good. Mm-hmm. I know for sure now it was very good. But um, uh, it's uh, I, I remember going to some classes with some uh, um, other ladies who were a similar age to me and some older ones. And based on the country of origin and where they learned the Tajweed, there were clear pronunciation issues that they, mm. they couldn't help because mm. of the language they the mother because tongue. Besides they spoke. having the correct pronunciation, there's also the how to teach. Yeah. Yes. How yes. do you teach a language? You can have the perfect pronunciation yeah. but not be able to teach. My, my teacher was very from that point of view was mm. very good because she could teach um 
she was able to apply her teaching method to all different ages mm. and her um, Sunday afternoon class at the mosque involved young girls um, just entry level as well as uh, um, very nice elderly ladies mm. uh, so she was and she had that but she had the patience she didn't have that's, formal, that's what i was just gonna say she didn't have a formal um a pgce for instance so she didn't have the teaching qualifications in that sense but she had that mm-hmm. natural teaching instinct mm. that went with it so mm. i was i, I do was i do think that's one of the key things is about patience because i don't know about you ladies but where i speak we miss a lot of letters we miss a lot of pronunciation out so coming to arabic and tells you got to use this part of your tongue this big out of your throat and, yes, and you're like what I just, so you need a teacher that's really patient and and will go over it yeah. and not get fed up after about you know, 20 have, times um, i'm still not getting it right i have my because i've i've this is not my first language mm-hmm. so once you actually develop instinctively in the brain a, a way whereby you pick up sounds inflections and you after you've spoken to somebody for a while you'll end up starting to sound like somebody from yeah, yorkshire yeah. you know without meaning know. to but yeah. you know it's uh it's I one see, of those see. things that happens but i wouldn't be able to tell you necessarily what the rules are but for yeah. some reason I'm, I'm actually doing it right without knowing i'm doing it right which is very odd not always but i surprised myself. <laughs> okay, so we're now coming up to a break. Um, really interesting discussion we've been having, ladies, on uh, the challenges that new Muslims face in getting their uh, Islamic education. Uh, inshallah, after the break, we're going to continue our discussion and we're going to have a guest uh, phone in. Um, and so hopefully that will broaden <laughs> our topic a little bit. Um, that's going to be uh, Sidi uh, Nuruddin from the Fountain Institute, who's kindly going to join us by telephone and uh, discuss a little bit more about um, the best way for a new Muslim to uh, start their Islamic education. So please join us after the break if you would like to uh, call in 01582481822. Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Welcome to Islam show. My name is Kerry Manan, I'm your host today. Um, I am from the Luton Revert Group. Once a month we take over this show, me and my lovely uh, co-presenters here. Um, so before the break, we were talking about Islamic education, a new Muslim perspective. Um, and we discussed about some of the challenges that new Muslims face in terms of uh, getting their uh, education uh, in Islamic knowledge. Um, so now that uh, we've had our discussion between us ladies, we've actually got a, a guest uh, coming onto the show. Um, and I'm going to let Rosa introduce him because uh, she, she's uh, been a student of his. Um, yes, um, I have the greatest pleasure of introducing um, Ustad Nuruddin uh, Rashid, who joins us today. He has uh, um, over 10 years of experience in teaching the Islamic sciences. Is uh, a founding member of the Shifa Trust in Bambury, um, as well as having studied extensively with uh, uh, scholars, with leading scholars of Syria, amongst them Sheikh Samir Al Nas, Sheikh Mazin Bakir, Sheikh Rashad Shams, and Sheikh Mujir Al Khatib. 
Um, Sirinuri Dean um, teaches a number of courses uh, independently as well as part of the Secret Studies um, course, which is part of the Fountain Institute. Uh, welcome, Sidi. Welcome to our uh, um, monthly show. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you. Assalamualaikum. How are you, brother? Alhamdulillah, I'm very well. How are you all? We're great. We're so pleased to have you join us on the show with us today. So I don't know if you was able to catch the first part of our show where we were talking about some of the challenges that um, new Muslims have in, in terms of their Islamic education. Um, what, in your experience, has worked best when teaching new Muslims? Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Rabbi Yassir wa Inya Kareem. So um, we set up an institute here, I think it's been something like four years or five years. It's called the uh, NMI, the uh, New Muslim Initiative. And the way things work with that is whenever a person embraces Islam and has an interest in learning, then we link this person up with a specific tutor and uh, therefore the teaching is one-to-one though so, you know th this tutor takes responsibility for this particular uh, new Muslim and not only takes responsibility you know for generally teaching them Islam but helps them on a one-to-one -one basis to you know for example memorize what needs to be recited in Salah practically demonstrates for them how to make wudu. So it's, mashallah, uh, a much more personal approach, much more one-to-one. -one. Whereas in a class, for example, you know, you may have the teacher describing how to make wudu. You don't normally have a teacher, you know, physically make wudu in front of you, describing the prayer. Sometimes there's demonstration, but, you know, this is much more specific and much more tailored with the NMI, the New Muslim Initiative. And alhamdulillah, uh, it's been going for a while. Um, number of participants is up and down, but alhamdulillah, personally, I feel this is, uh, you know, one of the best ways to teach uh, new Muslims. However, um, the, the, the tutors on that uh, initiative, I do say to them that, uh, and I feel strongly about this, I do say to them that as soon as the person is kind of up to speed with their basics, please encourage them to, you know, attend general classes. Uh, I don't like the mentality which is sometimes put forward that, you know, new Muslims are always playing catch-up to born Muslims. You see, it's very possible within a brief period of time and just a brief period of studies, a new Muslim, their level of learning can be far greater than uh, people who have been Muslim their entire life. So, you know, to, to put a person in that kind of mentality that, okay, you always need to, or for a long, long time, you need to be uh, studying courses which are tailored to new Muslims, I don't think that's a great idea and a good mentality to put a person in. We do have, uh, as far as I understand, a number of people from the Reva group who attend Sacred Study. Sacred yes. Study, alhamdulillah, is a course for, you know, everybody. 
and they come and mashallah they participate i hope they benefit a great deal and mm-hmm. there's no issue of you know oh, this doesn't quite work for us or what have you so that's something i do feel quite strongly about that at the initial stage obviously you need something tailored to a new muslim but that mentality of it needs to be like that long term i think can be detrimental do you think that that's because you're coming from a background where you've got a very um, academic and formally structured program? When you talk about things like we were talking about the um, madrasa for young children and that kind of thing, we were talking about how there's some barriers there for new Muslims and their children to, to be able to kind of fit into that kind of structure? Okay, uh, sorry, I didn't catch the first half of the program. What kind of barriers are in place? So we were talking about things like issues with, the obvious one is a language barrier. Um, But there's also kind of some certain cultural barriers too, in terms of, you know, um, if there's some strict ideology there about a way a person dresses. Jeanette mentioned about an issue that she had with her her daughter where um, there was an unfortunate incident where she was wearing a jilbab, but um, she then had to reveal what was she was wearing underneath her jilbab and she was wearing jeans and then the teacher didn't like that and she was ridiculed somewhat. So we were just mentioning about how there are some barriers there for for new Muslims in terms of that kind of learning that within uh, not, not not the most structured uh, situation like you've come from where it's a very academic and uh, formal mm-hmm. structure but you know the kind of like yeah. you know at home you know you're going and learning or going to a madrasa. Yeah I think uh, the, the situation that you've just described the solution to that um, it's not necessary that we, you know, should have that particular issue that you've mentioned, that we should have a separate madrasa for, you know, children of new Muslims. More so, we should try to explain to the people who run madrasas that we oh, yeah. should avoid, uh, you know, cultural considerations when teaching the deen. Oh, yeah, we agree with you, brother, 100%. <laughs> the deen, the deen is not, you know, Pakistani or Indian or Malaysian or this or that. The deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, doesn't have a culture to mm-hmm. it. That doesn't mean, it, you know, that culture never ever affects any aspect of it, but it does mean that the situation that you've described is incorrect. You know, yeah. the Muslim woman, she's required to cover her body with loose garments, yes, and as I understood the situation correctly, a jilbab is going to suffice, is going to cover that. So I don't understand why, uh, first of all, there's a need to check what the child is wearing underneath the jilbab. And secondly, to ridicule anybody is an Islamic. So I think the solution to that situation is to maybe try to speak to the people who run the madrasa Mm. and try to explain that this has got nothing to do with culture now. To ridicule mm-hmm. the child is wrong. Yeah, and I think I think we do find as new Muslims that we actually take on that kind of challenge all yeah. the time. We are always the ones yeah. to stand up and say, actually, you know what? This this mosque isn't delivering what we need, or this madrasa isn't delivering what we need. Yeah. And it, it feels like we're always the ones that kind of cause the trouble. <laughs> I've got to say, with that particular situation, um, I was advised it might be better to take my children elsewhere. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, the, especially the aspect of, you know, advising a madrasa 
uh, organization that you know please don't ridicule children <laughs> the response cannot be take your children elsewhere the response must be yes you're right this is against the sunnah of the prophet mm -hmm. he never ridiculed anybody right let's try to address this issue i think you know uh, 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 there might be other challenges that you know we haven't brought up at the moment but this particular issue we're speaking about yourselves speaking out and uh, uh, you know pointing these things out to madrasa institutions should improve them so once again rather than you know having to go elsewhere and seek out a different madrasa um you know as long as the suggestion being made is within uh, the islamic teaching and mm -hmm. here the suggestion here is an actual obligation it's obligatory not to ridicule people and uh, not to ridicule, ridicule children so you know the response should be one of okay excellent let's consider that that sounds correct let's change the way our madrasa operates rather than saying hold on you're from a different background you mm -hmm. need a different islam you need a different madrasa we're two different we're not different we're one ummah yeah. we should be able to work sure. together mm. i think that's a good message to put out there as well absolutely <laughs> yeah okay so i'll move on to um another question that we we kind of came up with in, in our discussion um so from your uh, experience, uh, what does it say in the Quran and in Hadith about the best way to approach Islamic learning? Because we were talking about how there isn't kind of a, a specific structure that, or um, curriculum for Islamic learning. Um, is there anything that, that re referenced within the Quran and Hadith to say this is a, the, your approach for learning? Yeah. I, inshallah, I will speak about that. What I just want to do as a precursor to that is one thing Quran and Hadith does in abundance is really emphasizes the importance and the blessing and the virtue in knowledge. This is incredibly important. This is not just for reverts. This is for every single Muslim to understand. And sadly, this is a message <laughs> that most people really don't understand. Uh, a lot of people in our community, they have this idea that learning is you know really for scholars um or they have this understanding that oh there's you know just a little bit you need to learn for functionality i suppose and then beyond that it, you don't really need to learn uh, something we need to really understand as a community is that learning the deen of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an, an immense amount of benefit and it makes a person spiritually stronger and it's the means of constantly drawing close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why the ulama almost by agreement, they said the best nafal action, nafal meaning non-obligatory action or activity, the best nafal activity you can busy yourself with is learning the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does that mean? Once you've fulfilled your obligation, the best thing you can do is to learn. Just like, you know, we pray supererogatory or nafal prayer or recite Quran daily, which is a nafal or make dhikr or dua or these kind of things. We should have a routine of regularly busying ourselves with learning the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I just quote one verse of Quran regarding this issue, then I'll come to answer your own, uh, question directly. In Surah Al-Mujadila, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, verse number 11, يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ دَرَجَاتِ Which translates as, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises those amongst you who have faith, iman, and those who have knowledge in degrees. Knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge, acquiring knowledge, <coughs> passing on knowledge to others, is one of the main ways of drawing close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one of the main ways of preparing for one's akhirah, inshallah. As for a little bit more, uh, you know, the, the question specifically, the issue of how do you, or, you know, uh, what does Quran or Hadith say about, um, you know, learning and how to go about it, we don't have, you know, a lot of specifics in Quran and Hadith, you know, that it kind of gives us a detailed syllabus. But we have a, a very important hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which shows us what our approach would be. This hadith is narrated in Ibn Majah and in others, and it's considered a sound hadith according to Imam Suyuti and Imam Al-Mizzi, where, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ said, Seeking knowledge is an obligation on every single Muslim. This is the hadith of the Prophet The scholars, they took this hadith and they said, okay, um, the hadith says that knowledge is an obligation, learning is an obligation. So we obviously don't understand that to mean that every single subject uh, to learn it in, with it uh, with every single detail is the obligation. What is the obligation? So the Scholars, they reflected upon this, and they derived certain Islamic subjects or sciences that are an obligation to learn. And uh, they said that this is your starting point. When you're starting to learn Islam, you start with these subjects, and therefore I'll list them out, inshallah ta'ala. You start with those, you focus on those, you make sure you've learned enough of those to fulfill the obligation and then you go beyond that so as i said it's not you know detailed out in terms of an a precise syllabus in quran and hadith so this is why you will find different institutions then have slightly varied syllabus uh, syllabus for their madrasa but <coughs> uh, the general principle is established in the hadith of the prophet وسلم, that there are obligatory, obligatory sciences you start with those and then you move on. What are those obligatory sciences? They are four. Number one, Aqeedah, which is the Muslim belief system or creed, Islamic creed. And number two, Fiqh, uh, which is Islamic law or jurisprudence. And that's, you know, there's quite a lot within that that needs to be studied. Number three, Tazkiyah or Islamic spirituality. Um, this speaks about things like purifying the heart and uh, removing diseases of the heart and such things. And number four, tajweed, or learning to recite the Qur'an uh, correctly without mistakes. These are considered the obligatory sciences. One should start with these, fulfill this obligation before moving on elsewhere. I'm sorry if that doesn't answer your question uh, as you may have intended, but this is what we have in Hadith. The no, um, no that's great. I mean, one of the things, just picking up on what you said there, um, Taskir, the Islamic spirituality, this is kind of one of the areas that I kind of, for me, I feel that there isn't that much teaching out there. Um, you know, I might be that I just haven't had the correct exposure. 
Um, but for me, yeah. this is kind of one of the things that for, for my learning and from what I've seen from new Muslim education, there's a lot of emphasis yeah. on uh, the rituals of, of our faith and, and yeah. the thick of our faith, but not so much on the actual spirituality side. Is there something you yeah. could, could tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, no, I agree with you. I think that's absolutely correct with with new Muslims, especially that that is an approach. And I think to some extent with children, that's an uh, that's an yes. approach of many as well. Yes, that you know they'll teach them the functional aspects, which are very important, and there are great blessings. And there's you know there's spiritual benefit in learning those themselves, but there is a lack of this, especially with new Muslims. But um, you know, I I, I in my circles, I suppose I could say I do find a lot of spiritual teaching like at sacred study which we spoke about earlier we have a lot of discussion or you know we have at least one subject we have tend to have five subjects as at least one of those five subjects are constantly uh, related to islamic spirituality personally in my own classes that i teach um, I'm always teaching something on Islamic spirituality, so uh, I'm not sure, obviously, of uh, the exposure that you've had and uh, you know where you've been learning and such things. But uh, it, it's a shame if there is a lack of provision for Islamic spirituality. It is very, very important. So I think you asked me to speak about it a little bit. What is Islamic spirituality all about? Um, fundamentally. What you know, Islamic spirituality, you know, teaches us or speaks about the absolute necessity of implementing what we learn um, in other subjects, like in Sufa and in other subjects. It really emphasizes, so it helps us to implement that, and it speaks Islamic spirituality speaks about how one can develop spiritually by obeying what's in the and following what's in the Quran and what's in the Sunnah of the Prophet It also speaks about some uh, specific areas you don't really study elsewhere. For example, what we call nafs uh, or purification of the heart or purification of the soul. There it speaks about, you know, first of all, negative traits like hazard, envy. Okay, what is envy? How did the Prophet define it? How can you remove it? Okay, hubba um, dunya, love for the, the, the material world. What is it? How is it defined? What's the negative aspect of it? What's acceptable from it? How do you remove that? And then it speaks about positive traits of the heart. For example, love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you increase your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How do you make it such that your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overwhelms everything else that may be in your heart? You see, love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the importance of it, how to increase it. Tawakkal, uh, for example, which is reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you increase your tawakkal? It speaks about sincerity, okay? How, what is sincerity in worship? How, what, what's considered contrary to it? How do you once again increase your sincerity? So these are the kind of things discussed in Tazkiyah. Um, you know, purification of the heart and the soul and these kind of matters. Sidi. Um, I have had the blessing of uh, attending such a class with the Fountain Institute uh, uh, with Sidi uh, Thakib. 
um, teaching yeah. it very well. Yeah. Uh, I found because I had a, a, a history of philosophy background, I was able to understand a lot of the um, language that goes with it quite straight uh, straight away, and I was able to engage in the discussions. Would you be? Would you say that uh, as a, an absolute beginner who doesn't have that kind of language, that kind of uh, deeper thought already in? built in them would you find that would be easily accessible for them because I'm, I'm just wondering whether it would be a little bit daunting for someone you are absolutely right Allah most I bless you no this is true uh, it's certainly true of Islamic spirituality but it's true of all subjects really um, that you know when you don't have a background in it that you uh, try to study it at a basic level first um, and also, you'll find difference between, uh, you know, one teacher and another, mm -hmm. you see. Some people, when they, it's not just with spirituality, it's with any subject, mm -hmm. you see. You might find a particular style difficult or overwhelming, and another teacher's style a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something one should, you know, maybe look at and maybe go to various sessions and see what works for them, inshallah. Mm -hmm. I absolutely is... agree. Sometimes it can be, you know, too much. And I think one of the things that sacred studies, certainly the, the purification element, I think it's changing this year, but, um, you know, th that's where you had a real mix of students. Yeah. You had absolute beginners mm -hmm. and you had people who had been on the course for maybe a decade or so. That wasn't you, was it, Rosa? No, no, total beginner, <laughs> but uh, I've got things no, to I jump in. I have to in. say, I, I, I obviously, yeah. I did but the, the courses. Uh, the teacher delivers, yeah. he's going to pick some things for the beginners and some things for the more advanced student. You see what I mean? So this yes. is why yeah, it might be you know, worth looking around a little bit, not just, as I said, not just with Islamic spirituality, mm -hmm. you know, with any subject you're going yeah. to try to get an understanding of but what level is it going to be pitched. And also, as I said, sometimes it's the style of the teacher. You see, yeah. and uh, again, this is why it's a good idea to have a number of different teachers and see which subjects you find mm -hmm. uh, most beneficial with which teacher. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, Sidi, I've also done the first year of the Fountain Institute course, and um, yeah. unlike Rosa, I don't have any psychology background yeah. or anything, but I did find that all the teachers were more than happy to explain anything that we didn't understand as well. So following from that, um, what courses would you recommend for new Muslims to expand on their basic knowledge? Uh, basic knowledge, I, I think, you know, somebody who's just completely new and recently become Muslim, then what I would say is that it'd be a good idea to, you know, have a program similar to what I described with NMI, mm -hmm. the New Muslim in Initiative, where, you know, this person has a one-to-one -one tutor, just to get them, uh, you know, th that basic initial knowledge, just to help them, uh, you know, uh, learn how to pray, learn how to perform wudu, um, learn how many rakats the prayer is, for example, learn the basics of Islamic belief as well. And then after that, I do believe that they should go into what you might call a mainstream program. Mm -hmm. You see, most of the classes I personally teach outside of sacred study, most of them are pitched at beginners. Mm -hmm. And I don't see, and I often have new Muslims come to them, and my understanding is that 
they tend to work okay for them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, so, uh, and that's going back to what I initially said. I don't think there should be this long separation. Oh, you're still a new Muslim. You're, that no. that course is no good for you. That can actually be very detrimental. And yeah. as you know, I'm sure you all know, some of the most well-known and knowledgeable scholars we have here in the West, they are new Muslims. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up now because we've just got one last minute before uh, uh, we go off. Jazakallah khair, brother. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Assalamu alaikum. So just to wrap up the show in the last 30 seconds, I just wanted to let you know that the Luton Revert Group next meeting is actually on the Saturday the 7th at 2.30 here at the Dalla Road Community Centre. We're actually going to have a Macmillan Coffee fundraiser. So bring a cake or indulge in some cake with us, lovely ladies. And there, there are some men as well in the group. Uh, we are a mixed group of all sorts and we are very friendly uh, and uh you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your stage of Islam, um, you know, come along and meet us. And uh, Any questions? Yeah, We're uh, there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jazakallah khair, everyone, for joining us on the show, and we shall see you next month, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at Inspirefm Luton.